You're listening to the Better Than Fiction Bible Podcast. I'm Gandalf. I'm Matt. And I'm Nathan Van Horn. The Bible is the most read book ever, but to some, it is merely fiction. Join our conversations as we connect the dots to reveal that the story of the Bible is not only true, it's better than fiction. To learn more about the show or to contact us directly, visit us online at www.betterthanfictionbiblepodcast.com. This is episode 51 of the Better Than Fiction Bible Podcast. And before we get started, let me just say, it's great to be here with you, listener, um, as we are speaking and listening in the same language, as well as Matt and Nathan Van Halen. It's great that uh, we're sitting here conversing each other, all speaking the same tongue. It's wonderful. Which, um, if you've been following us for the past couple episodes, you know that very soon uh, the subjects of our discussion will not have such a luxury. We're going to find out about the consequences of that. But, as always, remind you so that you aren't scattered like the people of Babel. Please like and subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening. If that's iTunes, hit subscribe. If that's Spotify, hit like. And whatever that equivalent is on the platform that you're listening, we thank you for that. That way we can spread the podcast to more and more people. We will not stay contained in a single city, but instead we will spread the podcast we will be fruitful and multiply uh, the podcast. There it is. <laughs> How was that, Nathan? Was that, that good? That was good. I really Worth think we, like, we, we, missed an, we missed an opportunity with the whole Babel story uh, to like you know launch a better than fiction Bible podcast in Espanol, you know, or, <laughs> uh, or another language. I don't know, but I don't. Yeah. I, I read. I've, I've studied a couple of other languages to read and translate, but uh, not to speak. So that would be a disappointment there. Mm. All right, so well, I have to wonder where are we going today? Well, we're still in Babel. Yeah, I knew that. We have to we have to (laughs) issue a retraction. We said we were only going to do Babel for one more episode, and now it looks like two, maybe. (laughs) Right there, we go. That that's the brand that you come to know and love with the Band of the Fiction Bible Podcast. That this is what you expect from us. We're going too fast, and it's. It's also because that as we dig into this stuff, we're discovering things either that are new to us or uh, we've forgotten, and it's just digging back into it is exposing us to newfound uh, stuff or rediscovered stuff, and we want you to take that journey with us. Uh, As we jump into this one, I have a question uh, for you guys. Did you all ever play King of the Hill growing up? Oh, absolutely. All right. so That was a cartoon too, right? Yeah, I think so. yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. It was. But hey, like, Bobby, <laughs> I didn't watch the Nathan, show. You're, but you're, I, done. I, you're done, Nathan. I, I didn't watch the show. I just remember that from like one of those you know pre-episode clips. Watch the ball, son. Right. Well, I, I'm glad that I grew up at, at a time where I like playing King of the Hill on the playground and stuff was still allowed. I don't think kids are allowed to do that no more. Well, so there was this uh, neighbor I had that lived across the street, and he had a son my age, and they had this massive hill, and that was the go-to place for playing King of the Hill. So Gandalf, for those of us who maybe grew up you know, in a different time period where such things are are not considered uh, normative. Explain the game of King of the Hill to us. All right. The game of King of the Hill 
it involves a group of children all vying to be the only one standing at the top of a hill. And the way you remain at the top is that you push down competitors who would usurp you from your place as the king and you push them down the hill and the the presence of the of the incline makes it you know very amusing to watch the children tumble down as as they fall in their hubris trying to usurp you mm. as your rightful place as king of the hill exactly meanwhile, meanwhile that and why cyrus song the climb is playing in the background right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so why is it hubris to think that you could stay at the top of the hill because, uh, you know, you can only stay at the top so long because everyone's coming for you. And eventually you're going to get tired or you're going to make a wrong move. Yeah. yeah and the, someone's going to push the, you down the, the hill. The same violence by which you take the hill inspires someone else to take the hill from you. Exactly. Did <laughs> exactly you all, right. Do you all remember <laughs> that uh, children's story out in Salamassan where Yertle the turtle was king of the pond? Do you not remember? Oh that? yeah, that's the, that's a Doctor Seuss story. Yeah, isn't it? yeah, Yertle the turtle, Yertle the turtle, where the I was about turtle, to say, I, I, turtle I, I named Mac. I never the read t- that one, but I was like, this has a very Seussian rhyme scheme. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like uh, at the pond, Salamisand, where Yertle the Yertle the turtle was king of the pond, and the turtle named Mac did a plain little thing. He burped and he toppled the throne of a king. Like Yertle the turtle, what he does is he has all these other turtles come. Over and the first one he starts with is Mac, and he and he just he sits on them, and then he brings other turtles, and he you know says you know my my tower is going to reach to the heavens, and then eventually what Yoda the turtle gets so angry because he looks up and he sees the moon in the sky, and he's like who is that up there? I must be higher than that. So he summons more turtles, but all the while he's ignoring Mac at the bottom and Mac is saying, look, listen, my back's hurting. I can't do this anymore. And eventually Mac burps and then the whole tower comes crashing down. So yeah, <laughs> oh, that's, man, that's, that's, that's crazy that Dr. Seuss is leaning into type biblical typology. Yeah, like that's that, right. Well, and, you know, so there's, there's an interesting, there's a discussion in ancient philosophy about, uh, essentially about the shape of the world. And, mm-hmm. uh, one guy asks another guy, you know, what's holding the, the world up. And, and the guy says, um, well, the world is resting on the back of a giant sea oh, turtle. Oh, back of a giant sea turtle. Yeah, yeah. And, and the guy and the guy responds, "Well, what's holding that turtle up?" And it, the guy says, "Well, he's standing on top of another giant sea turtle that's holding him up. Who's holding? There's a hole in the bottom of the sea. Uh, you know what I'm saying?" And he <laughs> right. says, "Well, what's holding that turtle up?" And you know, this goes back and forth several times until finally the and, and this is a question of meaning, right? And right. finally, the the first guy says, "Well, man, it's turtles all the way down. There is there is no there is no bottom." But, but so it's it's neat that Doctor Seuss takes that and says, "Man, if you have this, it. if you have this, you know, inclination toward amassing power and influence, there's no top to it either." Exactly. And what's so mm. crazy is what brings him down is that he is threatened by the moon. He's he's threatened by something that's not a threat because it's otherworldly, and so. Here he is, and he's like trying to assault the sky. Yertle the turtle is, and that's it's his hubris that brings him down. And man, that makes me think about Nimrod, and that's well, what we really I, want to I talk was about. Today. To, I was about to say this sounds fascinating, but listeners everywhere <laughs> are thinking, "What in the world does this have to do with Babel?" <laughs> well, it well a tower reaching to the oh, heavens. Oh, I know. I'm part of the show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> we got right. we got to say the name outright. This is Nimrod. This this um, is Nimrod. W- one of the things that Matt and I have been digging into is it's it's amazing. You know, we've we've talked about Nimrod here and there, but it's amazing how much 
uh, reflection there is on Nimrod, not only in this incident, um, but you know, to use that word we come back to sometimes as a type for assessing mm-hmm. future figures. You know, so you know, when I was a kid, I was telling Matthew the other day, when I was a kid, anytime my brother got on my nerves, hi Ben, he listens to this. Uh, but sometimes <laughs> I would call my brother a Nimrod. And, you know, eventually my brother got informed enough to say, hey, Nimrod was a mighty hunter. Thank you for the compliment. Um, <laughs> and, th- and then eventually I went on to record the Better Than Fiction Bible podcast. And I'm saying, yeah, but he was a bad guy. So insult, <laughs> insult still works, just not in the way I thought it did. Right. Um, yeah, but yeah, again, we, we read it very neutrally in Genesis chapter 10, a mighty hunter before the Lord. But most of the sources that are interpreting it um, are not translating that uh, Lameth preposition neutrally before the Lord. They're they're making it adversative against the Lord, um, and you have you have this common depiction of Nimrod kind of as the original tyrant, right? Um, and uh, it's very interesting in the context of Babel. Matt and I were discussing this because there was a connection we had not dis- considered, because you have something that the interpretive uh, tradition emphasizes Nimrod as tyrant, you know, forcing people um, to make bricks, uh, making war against heaven through this, you know, uh, tall tower. And then you have something we don't really, we haven't really focused on, ironically, with the Babel story, which is how the story starts. The story doesn't start overtly talking about a tyrannical figure. It It starts by talking about speech. Now, the whole earth from the ESV had one language and the same words. But one of the things that's really neat, if you look into some of the sources, is that they make words the precise means, to, to Matt's point, uh, Matt, I want you to unpack this, they make words the precise means by which Nimrod came to power. Uh, yeah, so where Nathan's going with this is this whole idea of having the same words is that Think of like, I think in the modern era, we can think about different movements in varying countries. Uh, and that doesn't mean that slogans are always a bad thing. Some slogans can be helpful. But slogans are typically, uh, whether it be a campaign slogan or something like that, it's to, to coalesce a people around a cause. And they're typically not, <laughs> they're, you know, they're set out to accomplish a specific purpose but the purpose always has like huge holes in it because, you know, you cannot fix the world's problems with a single line of language. It's just, you know, we, we understand that things are too complex, but you can bring people together with a single line of language. And that is, appears to be what is happening here. It's interesting that as we looked in previous weeks that Josephus, Josephus sees and calls Nimrod, the he is the tyrant. He is the one that uses his political power. He uses his speech to coalesce people around his cause, which his cause was to push back against the, in a sense, the 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 life that God had given them and the structure of life that God had given them after the flood and even stretching back into creation that He wanted them to to spread abroad and fill the earth with His with His image, Nimrod is the one that comes along and says, "Hey, I've got a better idea," and pushes back and then uses these slogans to create a government that coalesces around his ideas of goodness rather than God's. 
so this is tied back into Genesis chapter 3, the devil figure, and this is a figure that appears over and over again, but not just in the Bible. We also see this in um, history. I, yeah. I'm just imagining like a little yard picket signs that just says uh, bricks and burn or something like that. <laughs> or or like, for instance, whatever year it was, the, the campaign slogan for, uh, you know, the year... Never uh, flood again. Yeah, ne- never flood again or the year 6,000. Oh, <laughs> in the year 6,000 BC, vote up. <laughs> Nimrod, Nimrod, Nimrod for tyrant. Yeah, uh, that's right. Vote up. The uh, yeah. So uh, the interesting thing, uh, you know, you were likening uh, the dynamic here with Nimrod uh, again, at least in the interpretive tradition, likening that to what's going on with the serpent, who subverts God's created order precisely by manipulating speech. Right. Um, what's so oh. interesting, and I had never made this connection before. Matt and I were talking about it today. I was reading a, a Jewish scholar by the name of James Kugel, and he was talking about Isaiah 14. And Gandalf, we've talked about Isaiah 14 on the show. Do you remember what the context was? Yeah, we were talking about um, painting painting a picture of of the devil character, like a, a type. Yes, this concerning. is one of the it's one of those two main passages that people go to for like kind of a fall of Satan. Narrative, you know, in the in the prophets, the other one being Ezekiel twenty eight. What's so interesting, James Kugel was pointing out in Isaiah fourteen, is that whole uh, thing that we make about uh, the serpent, about the devil, is given in the context as what a taunt against the king of Babylon. Oh, but it, but yeah. In he, but in one, Hebrew, yeah. this was this was his point. In Hebrew. The king of Babylon would look exactly the same as the king of Babel. Babel. <laughs> yeah, there's no difference in the Hebrew word uh, Babel so, and Babylon. So, and so, and he's he's not denying uh, because this is you know a remnant uh, for, you know that Israel's uh, you know eventually restored remnant uh, will say, hey, you took us into exile, but it, it didn't last forever. You went the way of every king and every empire, every you know dictator, kind of what we're talking about, but. Uh, Kugel introduces the idea, hey, yeah, Babylon may be in view, but that does not mean that that Babel, you know, Nimrod, the original tyrant, is not in view. That's kind of like it's kind of like looking through a telescope. You know, you have a series of lenses, um, and and it it gets a bigger and bigger picture at the end. But you pick something up with each successive cylinder that you pass through. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Mm. So so. In this passage in Isaiah, then talking about the king of Babylon, it's referencing both the devil and Nimrod. Or well, it, it, is that now, how you're so, supposed to read it? Well, Kugel is saying there's that possibility. Um, so, uh, you know, one of the things that is attributed to Nimrod uh, is conscripting labor to force people to make bricks for him. You know, and again, think about Matt's point. Uh, reading Genesis while you're living the Exodus, what 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 did Moses just lead the Israelites out of Egypt where a, a tyrannical king forced them to make forced bricks, them to, make bricks. to build his city? Uh, you know, right. The, um, but uh, in fact, you have some of the, the, the interpretive uh, traditions on Abraham saying that God picked Abraham because he refused to take part in that activity, and he was essentially locked in, in jail, and God redeemed him in a very Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego faction. It's interesting how they blend these stories on top of each other. Um, 
Uh, but 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 it's very common. They're seeing Nimrod as the initial tyrant. And again, to Matt's point, one of the things that tyrants use to come to power, just like in Genesis 3, is exploiting the masses through speech. Well, um, so we're back to Yertle the Turtle. And, you know, he's the one that... Uh, <laughs> I can't get he's over the, Yertle the Turtle. Yeah, I mean, he's the get, one that uses his words. pretty deep today on the Better Than Fiction Bible Th- podcast. That's right, uh, where he uses his words and he does his little campaign speeches to get people to, you know, join in to this thing. But what it always ends up being is it ends up being a tower that is always toppled. Uh, I was uh, reading an article just this morning. It came across um, my uh, homepage on the internet um, from Bloomberg, and it's most dictators self-destruct, and then it talks about why. And then it goes through, like, it's fascinating, this... um, uh, political analyst from UCLA, I believe his name is uh, Daniel Treisman. He's a political scientist, and he does this sweeping review of history from the year 1800 to 2015, uh, and ex- looks at basically the dictators of history and what end up happening to happening to them, with the exception of like just three or four people that he mentions. They all fall, or upon their death, their rule falls. Like it, it, it cannot. They can't transfer power to another. Um, and it, it, interesting, there. I was reading an article a couple of months ago where it was talking about that uh, Vladimir Putin was struggling with moving into retirement because it was, you know, if if you are an autocratic ruler, how do you ever retire from that? How can That's you? The moment, the moment he's gone, it, it falls down. That's, right. Actually, Those transitions Matt, never we, go well. Yeah. Right. Actually, Matt, you and I have seen an example of this in real life. If you recall, when we were in Israel. On that trip with Pastor David, oh, we underground yeah. where they had those pillars that Caesar had, um, oh yeah, commissioned, and we you can you see the pillars as they progress through a street somewhere, and mm-hmm. then the moment he dies, they stop and they don't even bother to shave off the pegs that they were using to carry him. Yeah, so no, so no, 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 uh, no leader feels obligated to finish the. To finish the projects of his autocratic predecessor. <laughs> well, and also, it, also the 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 downfalls, according to to Treisman, the the here the the blind spots are hubris. People always overestimate themselves. Authoritating, authoritative, uh, or authoritarian leaders and autocratic rulers always underestimate their opposition and overestimate their ability. Also, needless risk, he cites, slippery slope, trusting a traitor, counterproductive violence, that all of these things are used and employed, and they don't even know that they're bringing themselves down. And and what and in the moment when you're experiencing the oppression, it looks like, hey, this is going to stand forever, but it never does. This uh, is a it, this is an over and over again uh, story in the Bible and beyond the Bible. The very right. thing that helps you become king of the hill guarantees you that you'll be thrown off of it one day. Exactly. You know, uh, it, it, we've talked. We've mentioned this. We've mentioned this dictator before. But Matt talking about all those all those things that cause one to fall. I know who you're describing. You're describing the greatest demagogue to ever live, which would be King Louis. 
oh, from the Jungle Book. You're oh, trying because that's you're trying to bait me into singing the song, <laughs> singing and I, that again. And I will not. I will not do it, sir. May, <laughs> we'll, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. But, but you know, no, no, there's stuff in that song. I can't. The the song, whether you sing it, at least say the words. To yeah. the chorus, I've reached the it, top it and I've had the, to stop, and that's what's bothering me. Yeah, okay, come on, go ahead and Speak. sing it, Nathan. No, go ahead no, and sing shame it. Shame on you both. I'm not going <laughs> to do it. Uh, you, you know what this reminds me of? Uh, to go with another very sophisticated example, did y'all ever see the episode of The Office where Dwight uh, is the top regional salesman and he gets to give a yes. speech <laughs> and he's and he's freaking out? Uh, so here they are in a dying industry. You know, they're being uh, gradually replaced by your. Uh, you know, chain warehouse stores, uh, you know, and uh, but uh, Dwight is the top salesman, so he gets to give a speech. And Michael wants him to give like a funny speech, but that's not Dwight. And so Jim claims he majored in public speaking, and what he really does is he takes some of the major speeches of his <laughs> history's famous dictators and he gives them to Dwight as like motivational material. And then Dwight gets up to the podium at the conference and uh, he's just like spouting off stuff that Mussolini said, uh, you know, stuff like this. Own Turns the wheel of history. history. Pounding on the podium. And the funny thing is it unites the room. Uh, for, for that moment, they completely forget that they're part of a failing industry and everyone's on board because they're falling under the tyrant spell, Right. Uh, and, right. and that's uh, what's so interesting. Again, this is not me. This is from Kugel. Um, is he cites a frag uh, a fragment uh, uh, from a fragment of Targum uh, from Genesis ten nine? And listen to what it says. Talking about Nimrod, he was a mighty man, powerful in hunting and mighty in sinning before the Lord. And don't miss the connection here. Powerful in hunting and mighty in sinning before the Lord. He used to entrap. That's a hunting term human beings through their speech and say to them, abandon the religious statutes of Shem and adopt the statutes of Nimrod. For this reason, it is said like Nimrod, the mighty one, mighty in hunting people and mighty in sitting before the Lord. So for Kugel, it's saying that Nimrod's mighty hunting was this deceptive speech that he used to prey upon people and bring them into his cause. Uh, and again, how that's interesting. That's very interesting. That's, that's exactly what, except Josephus added one detail, that he specifically targeted youth for this. That's it. Mm. That he targeted youth in order to get them on board with his cause. Um, man... This, this is you, so. Think, this is so repeated in history. It's uncomfortable. <laughs> do, do you think that Nimrod saw himself as like Tony Stark going up against Thanos? Do you, <laughs> I, 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 like, like what motivates you to like? I'm I'm taking down the big guy. Mm. I don't know. Well, I I think. Uh, so going back. Hold to on. Let me, let me put on this Infinity Gauntlet so I can lay another brick. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, there's a couple of things that I want to say there. First, going back to Treisman. So in his article, after he lays out all of the errors that dictators, you know, commit, he says they are, these are all very human errors of judgment. Dictators are people too. <laughs> and sometimes they'll act on imperfect information or erroneous gut feeling. But Treisman makes the point that they may be prone to such errors precisely because they are dictators. Yeah. That, man, if this is the way you think 
These well, are the errors you commit. Yeah, and the I mean, problem the, is it's, it's it, not that you it's have not to that. be this in order to do that. One of the questions yeah. that I get as a pastor, Nathan, I don't know if you've gotten this one before, is does the devil really think he can win against God? I mean, all throughout history, you know, he's pushing back against the ways of God. Is, I mean, James tells us that, you know, the these devils. Are, these are not questions that dictators ask themselves. Right. <laughs> That's it. That is it. You know, if, James if tells us that the demons know and they that tremble. Question, you're probably not a yeah. If you're asking that question, you may not be a dictator. Exactly. Um. <laughs> I, they just don't think this way. Hubris is that first point of thinking of yourself more than you are. Yes. Yeah, so the, the, de- the the devil doesn't think about the limitations of being the devil. He thinks about the privileges of being God. Why does he get to be God? Mm, right. That's um, it. To, yeah. To, Ooh, that's to your, good, to, you know, you quoted Tribesman. That really stood out to me. He said, "Dictators are people too." And I thought to myself when you read it, "Well, I, I've never thought that a dictator was anything more than a person." The problem is, dictators forget <laughs> that they are people. That's and that's uh, his point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's absolutely his point. I, I know. I, I know. I just referenced the Avengers, but I have to again. It, it reminds me of the what, first Avengers, where what you got, King where, Louis. Well, it reminds me of the scene in the first Avengers movie where Loki forces all those people to bow except for the one guy who uh, is implied to be from Germany. Oh, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Loki says, there, there there, are no men like me. And the guy says, there are always men like oh, me. That's oh, so that's so good. Oh, that is good. Oh, man. That's so good. Mm. So when we're looking at this story is that it's interesting uh, in the book of Daniel chapter 7 – when it's talking about, or maybe it's chapter eight. I, I didn't look at this beforehand. Mm, pretty sure it's chapter seven. But when it talks about the 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 little horn, the insolent ruler who would come, whether that's someone that you believe that's already happened in history, or it's speaking of the end, is it says that he will a- attempt to change times and laws. That who in the world makes war on the calendar? Like, like, what are you doing? Like, why are you seeking to change the calendar, the way of life, festivals, holidays? Who makes war on a calendar? A dictator does. Because this is what Nimrod did. Nimrod sought to change everything in the culture that pointed people to the god of Shem. And in doing so, once their acknowledgement of what the culture acknowledged as coming from God was gone, all they had left is what is offered to them by Nimrod. And this is repeated over and over and over and over again of ev- on every political stripe and spectrum. Uh, it, it, it's just interesting. In fact, beforehand we were talking about this, is that there are exceptions to this rule, is when we think about monarchies that have endured, I mean... There is one royal family in the world that has endured the test of time. Because uh, I mean, they have that Netflix show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that Netflix show called The Crown. And what's what's interesting, have you have y'all ever seen The Crown? I've, I've seen not. the first two seasons. Well, I've seen the first season. My my dad came over to visit one time and like acted like a millennial and like binged the entire first season of the day. <laughs> Oh, wow. That's funny to me. He was my professor at Mississippi College. (laughs) Um, But um, anyway, 
uh, one of the things that is abundantly clear in that series, that docu, no, it's, you know, it's filled with fiction too, but, you know, it's trying to capture uh, a picture of what it's like to be a royal, um, is that royals, at least as that series portrays it, are not as free as you and me because British royals have to maintain the image that is expected of them. And that's one of the things that the series... The institution endures because, because the participants conform to the expectations of the institution. Exactly. Now, what's interesting, and he appears in this series a little bit... In but, season one, there's an episode, yeah. Yeah, so Edward the... Let's see. Eighth. Who, eighth. Yeah, Edward the Eighth. He was um, the 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 king that abdicated only not even after a, a year of rule he was never he never went through coronation but Edward the Eighth abdicated the throne and it was in 1936 and what's interesting one of the reasons he abdicated was because of his love for a woman that was divorced it was looked down on at the time because of the you know the the rule that the royals have over the English church and Church of England. So there's lots of things going on there. But one of the things that history tells us in 1936, Edward VIII was an admirer of Hitler. And what's just strange about that to me is Hitler, the this classless German dictator in history, why is a British royal admiring somebody like that? And I, th I think the, en the answer... Is because uh, he Hitler, was free. Yeah. Hitler got to be who he wanted to be. So why is Edward VIII admiring a classless German dictator like Hitler? And the answer is, is that he saw in Hitler the freedom for Hitler to be whoever he wanted to be. And what's crazy is we saw what played out there. It was nothing but uh, unrestrained evil. And so Nimrod repeats itself. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm. Hey, Matt, this is a closing on a different but related note. Last week we talked about uh, the relationship between Babel and Pentecost. Mm -hmm. and, and you know what I never paid attention to? How, how does the Pentecost story start? Um, when the day of Pentecost had arrived, this is Acts chapter 2, they were all together in one place. <laughs> Mm. But after the after the ascension of Christ, after Christ does go up into heaven, because he was willing to go down into the earth, he's the opposite of Nimrod, right? He's the opposite right. of the tyrant. Uh, he, oh, that's he good. Does, he doesn't claim tyrannical power. He puts himself, he lets the government do its full thing to him and, and put him on a cross and put him in a grave. And then God raises him and God uh, gives to him uh, to sit at the right hand uh, uh, in heaven. What what were the what were after Jesus goes into heaven? What were the disciples doing in the upper room? They weren't shouting; they were praying. And mm. then on the day of Pentecost, you know, rather than their tongues being confused, their tongues are all understood. And Peter will go on to give this sermon that turns people not away from God but toward God, and three thousand of them mm. were saved. It's it's interesting, you know. It, before we do the show each week, um, we usually have a word of prayer. And we had been discussing these ideas, and I'm like, man, prayer is the exact opposite of this <laughs> tyrannical, uh, you know, communication that we're looking at with Nimrod. 
Right. That's good stuff. Well, listener, there is one way that you can always be sure that we will all be gathered in one place speaking one there tongue with the same words. <laughs> and that is to subscribe to the Better Than Fiction Shameless. Bible Podcast. Shameless. <laughs> it, like, like on Spotify, subscribe on iTunes every Tuesday, new episode. And we hope to see you there next week. Have a good one. See you next time. Shalom. Uh, also, when you think about... Um, oh, gosh. I was going to say this at the end, but then we just ran out of time.